0: Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show come join the conversation on the wtmj talk and text line at 855-616-1620
2: now here's wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome to the show it is an eclectic program today. We will be talking some politics. We'll be talking some crime issues and then some other sort of lighter stuff. That's just the way it works out today. Let me start off with something. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I sent out the, the, this tweet and it's so tonight is the the second debate between U.S. Senate candidates, uh, ex- current Senator Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes. Marquette University Law School poll shows that, that if you believe that, together with a number of the other polls, Ron Johnson is starting to pull away. I think a lot of national Democrats are saying, OK, Mandela Barnes is, is not going to win. But you never know. I mean, a lot can happen in four weeks. But it was interesting because they only have two debates. At the debate, if you want to call it that, last Friday night, first question out of the box was legalize marijuana. Which, okay, I'm I'm thinking, all right, what are the major issues that are impacting Americans nowadays? Uh, Okay, it's crime, it's inflation, it's the economy, it's the border. You go through all these different lists, and and what's the question they get? Legalized marijuana, which, by the way— uh, has, has almost nothing to do on, on a federal level. I, I guess, you know, maybe you could have somewhere this idea that the federal government would move to legalize marijuana, but that, as a practical matter, that's not going to happen. But that's what some reporter thinks. Let, let's talk about legalizing marijuana, you know, heavy side. All right, so there's a story in the local newspaper today that talks about the debate tonight, which is the second debate between the candidates. And, and what's the headline? Abortion. Abortion is going to be, you know, one of the focused on issues at tonight's debate. Now, okay, here's what I said in my tweet, and I, I want to expand on this. Inflation is running rampant. The stock market is in freefall, costing Americans trillions of dollars in wealth. And yet the local newspaper is predicting abortion, which is really a state matter, is going to be a major focus of tonight's U.S. Senate debate. And, and my comment was was heavy sigh. I mean, all right, first of all, after the, the Dobbs decision, which was the Supreme Court decision a few months ago overruling Roe versus Wade, it said that, you know, abortion is matters up to the, the state. So to, to ask the U.S. Senate candidates about their positions on abortion or whatever it, it is, frankly, it's kind of an academic exercise, because if, if you want to talk about it on the governor's level, all right, that's, I, I think, arguably fair. We'll get to that in just a second. But to spend a lot of time asking U.S. Senate candidates about that is is sort of... Well, it's an exercise in futility. Beyond that, you know, there's really not that much difference. I mean, Ron Johnson has already said that, you know, he would support, even though he has no control over it, you know, he would support a a referendum in the state of Wisconsin that would, you know, indicate where we should be. And actually, Ron Johnson and Tony Evers are are very, very close on on the issue, which is candidly where I am as well, which is uh, abortion, I think, you know, should elective abortion should be allowed. Up to a certain point, 14, 15, 16 weeks, that covers 92 to 95 percent of the abortions. And I I think that's where most people are. I think there's extremists on the left who think that, hey, you know, anything up to partial birth birth abortion is fine. You've got 13-year-old girls that want to have abortions without their parents knowing that's fine. I think that that's appalling, and that's beyond the mainstream. And I think that there's other people who say, well, in cases of rape or incest, of course, people should be allowed to get abortions. You solve that by, again, taking what I think is the mainstream position, which is somewhere 14, 15, 16 weeks, wherever you decide That's that I think is where the most people are. I think that's where Ron Johnson is as well. But the point of all this is that the U.S. Senate senators really have little or nothing to do with what is going on in the state. And yet. All there's all these issues that they do have stuff to do with, you know, like the you know, how can we you know, bring jobs to Wisconsin? How can we let's talk about tax policy that drives people away from Wisconsin? There's all sorts of issues. And yet, apparently, this is going to be an abortion issue. Apparently, some of the people that ask questions haven't figured out yet that the, the abortion issue, which is pretty much the only issue that Democrats have to run on this year, that that only takes them so far. Which brings me to my larger commentary about the abortion question. Uh, If if you watch the television ads that are out there, about, well, at least as of a couple weeks ago, one out of every three advertising dollars that was spent by Democrats across the country was spent on the abortion issue, attacking Republicans on the abortion issue. Regardless pretty much of what a Republican's position is, you, you get attacked on that. One out of every $3. In Wisconsin, um, as of mid-August, so this is two months ago. Those are the last numbers I could find. There was a, up, There was over $2 million in attack ads against Ron Johnson on, on the whole abortion question, which really, as I said before, U.S. senators have very, very little to, to do with. If you want to attack Ron Johnson, certainly there, there's stuff you can attack him on. But, but abortion, at least Democrats, say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run on abortion. We're going to run on abortion. We're going to run on abortion. I was kind of interested because, you know, if some of these fat cat donors who are donating all this money to fund these anti-abortion ads, if they really cared about women and women's rights to an abortion, well, there's something that they could easily do. Now, just, just guess, in Wisconsin, over the last couple years, how many abortions do you think were performed? I mean, I, I don't know, 10, 20, 50, 10,000, 50,000? I mean, just, just take a guess, because my guess is most people do do not know. Well, the the answer is, and, and the, the Wisconsin Department of Health reports these statistics, and then there's a, abortion groups that track them as well. And it varies from year to year, but it's actually been pretty consistent. The last year that I have numbers for, the the estimate is in 2020, there were approximately 6,960 abortions performed in Wisconsin. So let's round that up to 7,000. That's, that is a high. In 2017, it was 6,300. In 2014, it was 6,000. So you're talking between 6,000 and 7,000 abortions that were performed in Wisconsin every year. Now, let me just say something that's been lost in this entire debate. Anybody in Wisconsin who wants an abortion can get an abortion. Now, you, you you have to travel to Waukegan, Illinois, where Planned Parenthood has a, a center that's set up. You, you do have to travel. So it is an inconvenience, and I acknowledge that, which is one of the reasons why I, I think ultimately Wisconsin should – stand in line with some of the surrounding states like Michigan and Illinois and Minnesota and figure out, you know, a time for elective abortions. But the point is anybody who wants an abortion in Wisconsin can get an abortion. You you just you have to travel to Waukegan, Illinois. Now I understand that for some people that is more of a burden than others. And the argument would be, well, you know, what about people that, that don't have a lot of money? How are they going to be able to travel down to Illinois? Well, the the thing is, I mean, Planned Parenthood, and I'm looking at a story from, well, a couple months ago, you know, Planned Parenthood is talking about how they have, you know, made all sorts of arrangements to expand you know, abortion access and how they're making arrangements to, they're working a new partnership to provide women with transportation, gas money support, and financial assistance to get to Illinois. So there are, you know, if, again, I concede that it is an inconvenience. I get it. I understand that. But as far as, if you want an abortion in Wisconsin, post, you know Dobbs, the decision deciding Roe versus Wade, you can get one. You just you have to travel down to Waukegan. And if you need if you need financial assistance to do that, well there there's I mean Planned Parenthood is big about doing that. And I haven't seen one story about anybody who wanted an abortion but didn't get one because they weren't able to get down to Illinois. But that's really not the point of my commentary. Think of all this money that is being poured into these anti-abortion, you know, and into these like, oh, they're, they're, you know, these Republicans, you know, hate abortion. If you would have taken a couple of these fat cat donors who are donating hundreds of thousands of dollars or the unions that are donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to run these attack ads, if they really cared about access to abortions for women, what they would do is they would say, here's what we're going to do. We're we're going to take the money that we have been donating to use to run these, anti, these anti-Republican these anti ads on abortion. We're just going to take a day's worth of that money that goes into all these anti-abortion ads you have. And what we're going to do is we're going to, instead, we're going to contribute it to Planned Parenthood, or we're going to set up a special group that will, again, help arrange for transportation for somebody who wants an abortion who can 't otherwise afford to get to illinois, and we're we 're going to help him do that and you know if you would do that, my guess is if you would just take one day's worth of attack ad spending and put it into a separate fund and make it available to Planned Parenthood to help fund tra- having people travel from Racine or Green Bay or wherever to Illinois or across to Minnesota or wherever is closest so you can get that abortion, this entire issue would, would go away. Now, like I say, I bring this up because I, I continue to believe that at some point in time in the future, Wisconsin is going to join the surrounding states with some form a time period where they allow elective abortions. I I think that's the case, because like I say, by not having that, you you don't prevent anybody from getting an abortion. You just make it slightly more inconvenient because they've got to travel down to Waukegan or wherever to get it. And I I appreciate that that does make it a little bit more inconvenient. But this idea that it it can't happen, that nobody's getting these, that's just that's flat out just not true and the money is there to help people travel but if you really cared about this for all these people that are funding all these ads rather than spending the let's attack the republican ads on television just just say we're just going to we're going to take that money that we're spending just for one day and we're going to put it into i don't know a, a fund that helps people get down to Waukegan or whatever and at least for the short term you solve the problem but yet we don't want to solve this particular problem We really don't want to help people. We just want to try to create a wedge issue that helps us retain power. And to me, that says a lot. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Another day. Another person dead on the mean streets of Milwaukee because they had the audacity to cross the street. Here's the headline in the local newspaper. Reckless driving killed a 40-year-old man in downtown Milwaukee, police say. The man who was killed was apparently a, a pastor at Grace Lutheran Church down here on Broadway. Um, His name was uh, Aaron Strong, Reverend Aaron Strong. He was with the church for seven years, leaves behind a wife and two children. Okay, so here's the story. Um, You have the the pastor who is, this is 9 a.m. in the 1100 block of West Wells Street. So it's it's really within five or six blocks of where I'm sitting right now. So here's the deal. Police say a 22-year-old Milwaukee man was driving eastbound on the eleven hundred block of West Well Street. Of course, if you know this area, Well Street is a major, you know, east-west thoroughfare. So driving west, eastbound on Well Street around nine a.m. So we're, we're not talking about two o'clock in the morning. We're not talking about five o'clock in the morning. We're talking about nine o'clock. The twenty-two-year-old man disobeyed a red light at North Tenth Street. So we're talking about, you know, Tenth and, and Wells, and that's. I I relate to this because I I went to Marquette Law School and that's, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, Where I parked, you know, you'd be crossing 10th and Wells on more than one occasion. So guy blows through a red light at the intersection of North 10th Street, strikes a vehicle being driven by this pastor who was traveling northbound on North 10th Street through the green light. So the pastor's got the green light. Guy blows through the intersection. The police say he was traveling at a high rate of speed. Don't know exactly what that means right now, but he blows through a red light at a high rate of speed. Both vehicles um, then traveled east. And struck four parked vehicles. So the impact is great enough that, boom, it it knocks the cars into several cars. The 40-year-old man was transported to the hospital where he later died. 22-year-old driver was taken into custody. Police say the case will be presented to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office in the coming days. But, you know, here you have, again, we we have another person that's dead, Dead not because they did anything, simply because they were literally in the wrong place at the wrong time, but had no way of knowing that because all they're doing is driving through an intersection, something that you do, something that I do, something that our families do, something that our friends do on a daily basis, you're, you're just driving through an intersection, and here you have some 22 year old who is speeding nine o'clock in the morning, blows through a red light, and hits and kills a 40 year old man. And this unfortunately is not an aberration. This happens time after time, after time. And I, I just my frustration is, I, I don't know what the, the answer is, other than the fact that I'm willing to bet that blowing through this particular red light at a high rate of speed for this 22-year-old, I don't don't know if the guy had a valid driver's license. I don't know any of those things. But my guess is it's probably not his first time once again at the rodeo. I know that the way we handle traffic offenses right now is just nothing short of a joke. And the the general consensus is people believe that they can be irresponsible. You know, I, I drive... To work in our new location. I I take the freeway all the time. I am just always amazed that there are not worse accidents on the freeway because there is always some jack wagon who's driving 20 miles an hour faster than everybody else, who's weaving in and out of traffic all because. Well, I I don't think that there's really in in a hurry to get anywhere. It's just because they think this is fun. Here, we're going to go in. We're going to drive. We're going to pretend that we're like Mario Andretti driving, you know, at the Indianapolis 500 or wherever. We're going to weave in and out of traffic. And and inevitably what happens is there's road construction. You know, the the lane ends. They've got to cut somebody off. Boom, you have this multi-car collision. Or you have people that are dead. And I guess there's a number of things that you know we need to do with regard to this. But first of all, we need to say enough is enough. And we need to stop just giving lip service to being outraged when you know, somebody ends up dying like this. I think as a starting point, we have to say that reckless driving is, in fact, a big deal. And we don't want to wait until somebody gets killed— because some idiot runs a red light at a high rate of speed and slams into them and kills them. We we don't want to wait until that happens before we start cracking down on this, which is one of the reasons I go back to something we were talking about yesterday or 2 days ago that this idea of let, let's start let's start towing more cars. I mean, right now we tow cars if you're driving 25 miles an hour over the speed limit or you're driving recklessly and the car is unregistered. My point is why, why do we limit this to unregistered cars? I mean, if you're, if you are, let's say you don't have a driver's license, don't have a driver's license and you blow through a red light, all right, I don't care if the car is registered or not, take the car. And then, you know, don't give the car back until you've done whatever you need to do to prove that you're legally allowed to drive. Until we reach that point, more and more people are going to die. And at some point in time, as a community, we just need to say enough is enough. And that should have happened two years ago. Hey, did you watch the baseball games last night? Uh, yeah. You see... um, Josh Hader, remember Josh Hader? I remember the guy. Remember Josh Hader, who? Um, let's see. While the Brewers are well on their way to their like off-season vacation, Josh Hader had a four-out save last night, uh, preserving a five-three win for the Padres over the Los Angeles Dodgers.
3: you a Padres fan for the next uh, few weeks, or? I'm a, I'm a Josh Hader fan.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. A, I'm a Hader fan. I think he did a, a, a just a great job, and I think that trade looks worse and worse and worse every day. But um, yeah.
3: Poor out save yesterday. What do you think of uh, David Stearns addressing it earlier this week? I think it was Tuesday when he was asked and said, "Yeah, it was uh, worse than we had anticipated it being." Well, I th- what are you going to do? I mean, I, th- it's you know, I, mean, I think you you got I'm, I'm, you
2: got own it. What can you say? I mean, it it was. I, I mean, I don't know. I think for many of us, we believe it might be the worst trade in Brewers baseball history, and I, I don't necessarily expect him to come out and say that, but. Um, I what are you going to
3: do? <laughs> Every everybody knows that it was a it was just a bad trade. Yeah, proofs in the pudding at this point. I think too. Well, the, the further the Padres go, and the more hater gets saves, it, the the worse it's going to look. I think. Well, absolutely. And the guy they got from him
2: turned out to be just completely and totally useless. And the pitcher they got, they got rid of in the first week, and so now it's dependent on. Well, maybe it won't look so bad when we we've got a couple of these minor leaguers. Maybe one of them can come out and play, but. Um, at least for this season and next season, pretty pretty much of a debacle. But I, I'm a Josh Hader fan, and I, I was kind of watching that game, and he, he's actually turned it around the last month. He's been back to the Josh Hader of, of, of old, and I kept thinking all during September, wouldn't it have been nice to have him in the back of the bullpen? But we didn't because we traded him away for a, essentially a, a sack of used baseballs.
3: Yeah, and trying to traded him at the lowest point. You. I mean, I understand if you're going, I don't know, I'm not going to say I understand the trade, but if you're going to trade the asset, at least you would want to trade this version of Josh Hader because you'd probably be getting a heck of a lot more than you got when you thought you were you know, bailing on a, a sinking ship there. Yes,
2: on so, many different, on so many different levels, yes. But anyhow, Josh Hader is still in the playoffs. And look, I, I don't think really San Diego is going to beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't think the Brewers could going to beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. But at least last night, Josh Hader um, continued to be... Very, very strong, and he would have looked good in a brewer's uniform, no question about it. When we come back, the new inflation numbers are out, and they're pretty ugly. We'll discuss. Hey, Wisconsin, can you feel it? It's getting colder outside. Sure was this morning. And you know what that means? It means it's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're featuring Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. You can find out more by visiting their website at PellaWI.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right. Uh, The numbers are out, and they, well, they're, they're not good. Now, I, I'm not telling you anything when I tell you that the cost of stuff is going up. Um, I think I put gas in the car yesterday and it was three dollars and eighty nine cents, and it was down a little bit because most gas stations around where I was it was like over four bucks. But it's kind of hovering in that area. And if OPEC goes through with its decision to like limit supply, it'll probably it'll probably continue to go up. But every month we get core inflation numbers. And again, the numbers are, are bad. Here's the deal. Um, in September, U.S. consumer inflation, I'll give you the good news first, eased slightly from a year earlier. But price increases, excluding energy and food, accelerated to a new four-decade high. The Labor Department this morning said the Consumer Price Index, which is a member, measure of what we pay for goods and services, gained 8 point two percent in september from the same month a year ago so in other words you know if you were to buy something in september of 2021 it would have cost x dollars same good or service in september of 2022 cost 8.2 percent more 8.2 percent more now the good news is The last month, the August to August comparison was 8.3 percent. So it's down slightly, but um, still you're talking about more than 8 percent. In addition, if you look at a number of the the core indices – what you see is that inflation is far from under control. So it's not yet. Yes, it's it's 8.2% instead of 8.3% year to year, but it's still up over 8%. And of course the concern that is out there is that this means that because inflation isn't close to being tamed, that the federal reserve and what the federal reserve has been doing is they have been increasing the interest rates that they charge banks and, It means it's very, very likely because inflation is not under control that they will continue to significantly increase the interest rates they charge banks, which means the cost of borrowing becomes a lot higher. And if you wanted to, for example, if you wanted to buy a home and you wanted to take out a mortgage, well, two years ago, you could have probably, if you had, as Brian Wickard would say, all the right stuff, you could have probably gotten a mortgage for, you know, under 3%. Well, now that same mortgage, you're talking about well over 6%, probably closer to 7%, which has means you, you more than doubled your borrowing costs, which means your monthly payments have gone through the roof, which means the overall cost of the loan has gone through the roof, which means that a lot of people have either been priced out of being able to to buy the homes that they might have otherwise looked at, or... You know, they've had to come up with significantly more money. But on top of that, it's the daily effect of inflation. When you go into the grocery store and you buy, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And I think there's some politicians that just don't even want to talk about at. And that's been one of my frustrate- frustrations. Is, is like, for example, last week at the Senate debate, there, there was almost no questioning about inflation in the economy. Where for most of us, I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, liberal, a conservative, whatever, you, you see the cost of things on a, on a daily basis. And there's some people who want to say, "Well, okay, we, there, there's nothing you can do about that," which to me, I, I think is just foolish. There there is th- there are things that you can do, and the reason inflation is where it is is in part directly because of, in my opinion, various government policies. But there's this idea that's out there that okay, we're because this is a complicated concept. You know, okay, instead of paying two dollars and eighty cents for a gallon of gas, you're now paying more than four bucks. Or because you used to pay two dollars for this, and now you're paying three dollars and a half. It's it's complicated, so we don't necessarily want to talk about it. Well, I guess my point is this is something that is impacting us on a daily basis, and and that's. Every once in a while, I just kind of want to go back to basics. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I want to talk for a minute about inflation, and I want to talk about how is this impacting you? Where do you notice the effect of inflation most when you are going about your daily business? Is it In the cost of, I don't know, borrowing? Is it in the cost of gasoline? Is it in the cost of a particular grocery that you need? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Because I continue to believe that the high cost of goods coupled with Inflation's effect on the economy and the fact that, you know, trillions of dollars in in wealth has disappeared over the last year, largely because of -of out-of-control inflation. So if you sat down with your your quarterly statements from your brokerage account or your 401k account or your IRA, you probably got sticker shock that this, you know, a week or two ago when those numbers actually came in. But whether it's the prices going up or trillions of dollars disappearing, I I think – That remains the number one issue on the minds of most people. And my question is, how is this impacting you and where in your daily life do you most notice the impact of inflation? 855-616-1620. And then we might talk about how people cope with that as well. Back with your calls in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. See, I, You know, it's interesting. I'm getting a couple of people in the text line who who want to defend an 8.2% inflation. Oh, this is a great number. You know, it's not 8.3%. Okay, the cost that you are paying is up over 8% for the same thing year to year. The stock market, trillions of dollars have been lost, even though the stock market's up a little bit today. All right, you know, you should be able to take off your political hat for just a moment and recognize that this is a big blanking deal when it comes to the economy and it comes to the way people you know deal with life and yet i understand that there's some people who say well okay the democrats are in charge and this means that you know we can't even acknowledge that inflation is a problem Well, i'm sorry inflation is a big problem how is it affecting you let's start with larry in columbus larry you're on wtmj good afternoon Oop, let me see larry in columbus larry you're on wtmj
0: Good afternoon Jeff. Hi, Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh inflation we hard me and my wife, we hardly ever spent more than a hundred dollars a week at the grocery store. Now it seems like it's always uh, at least one hundred and twenty five. Yeah. And then uh you know you go to the gas pump, what is it like a dollar and a half at least more than it was a couple of years ago, probably closer to two dollars more. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and then I keep track of my IRA accounts, huh. and those are both down. One is nineteen percent, and the other one's twenty-two percent. Yep. Yep.
2: Oh, but you don't. You but know, you so. don't. But you don't need <laughs> that money, Larry. That's that's just that's just paper money. You know, it doesn't bother. You shouldn't be worried that you've lost you know twenty percent of all your assets.
0: Yeah right yeah. you know and you know so you can't uh, can't plan on anything really or do a whole lot right more you know especially when you're retired uh, yep. Yep. you can only do so much
2: yep no thanks thanks for calling and it, for for whatever it's worth and it, it's no consolation but we're all in the same sort of leaky boat that's out there and and that's why. I mean, I want to hear people talk about inflation and what you're going to do to, you know, restore the economy and what you're going to do to help. You know, all the people out there who've lost trillions of dollars in wealth get some, just in the last year, through no fault of their own, get some of that wealth back. See, that's what's affecting people on a regular basis. And yeah, I understand maybe if you're in your 30s and the stock market always comes back, I I get it. But if you don't, if you're in retirement or you're close to retirement or you're planning to retire at some point in time, all your projections are based on, okay, this is how much I have. And I get that the market goes up and down, but the market is going down. Largely because inflation is out of control, and like I said, I've got a text. Well, it's, it's only eight point two percent. That's down from eight point three percent. We should be celebrating. It, it's up eight point two percent from last year. 855 Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, a gasoline has gone up before, and I think we can make do with that. But food prices are through the roof. Eggs have doubled. Eggs have doubled to double to. Uh, eggs have doubled or tripled in price. Beef prices, half and half cream, 60% higher. Butter, everything, way up more than 8%. Jeff, this is a big problem. I blame people in charge who created the mess. Look at all the handouts that have been given to failing industries and countries. I would add to look at all the, the money that we just printed up and spent instead of requiring people for working. Somebody says, well, there's a risk that uh, you take in investing in the market. Okay, well, that that that's no help. <laughs> yes, you take a risk in investing in the market, but the reason the market is down is largely because inflation is out of control. Jeff, thank you. The age-old question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? You ask that question, and the answer is pretty much um, no. Um, there, there's... No question about it. Jeff, over the year, 8.2% is bad. The average is near 4% year to year. It was bound to happen with all the free money being pumped into the economy so that nobody could end up spending it. And again, I, I understand I've got people who want to apologize for this. Well, it's not a big deal. Sorry. It's a big, big deal for most people. And if you simply take off your political blinders, you would see that Jeff, um, my husband and I make about $100,000 a year combined. We do not eat out or spend unnecessarily interest on credit cards is absolutely, you know, killing us. Well, I think there's an element to that. Um, that's that's out there, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I just bought a new car. The finance manager said about a year ago the interest rate was about 4%, now it's 6.5%. Also, haven't looked at my portfolio for quite a few months, Don't want to know how much I have lost. Yeah, just kind of like stick your fingers in yours. I get it and go, you know, no, no, no. I don't want to hear that because it's bad. Jeff, my husband wants to retire. He's 69, no pension. Our 401ks are deflating like crazy. Don't know what to do. Groceries, gas prices, heating. We really do feel hopeless. Well, don't feel hopeless, but, you know, be mad. Be mad. Be, be mad and say, okay, what what are the policies that were implemented that got us into the state? Jeff, my 401k retirement fund has dropped 40% of from its high back when Trump was the president. Oof, 40% is, uh, is a pretty big decline. Um, as of and the other day, the NASDAQ was down 20% from its high, you know, putting it into a bear market. It's up a little bit today. Jeff, I had set a budget for $100 a week. It's now over $200. Wages goes up. Um, prices end up going up as well. Well, there's an issue. I mean, I mean, part of the good news is if you're, um, they just announced today, where's my number? Social Security, if you are on Social Security, you are going to get a raise. You want the good news? The good news is next year you're going to get a raise of 8.2%. So the amount of money that you are getting from Social Security is going to go up 8.2%. All right, you want to know the bad news? You're you're not going to get ahead. The reason you are getting that 8.2% increase is it is tied to inflation. And so it's just they got to give you 8.2% more to just keep you even, to just keep you treading water. So you're not really getting ahead you're just breaking even and by the way there's some areas where it's up way more than 8.2% so like healthcare costs and stuff you're still going to end up losing money but i guess my my bigger point about this is this is a huge 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 issue and you know we we talk about all this collateral stuff in these elections You know, tonight's Senate debate, half of it should be spent on talking about the economy and inflation because it affects each and every one of us. Like I say, regardless of what your political persuasion is, you should care about this because it has this huge impact. All of us buy groceries. All of us, you know, buy gasoline, or most all of us buy gasoline. All of us use goods and services. The, those of us who run businesses or work for businesses, those costs are impacted. And, and this is where the dynamic used to it used to be. And for people who were hoping, well, maybe it looks like there's, what was the phrase Biden used a year ago, that inflation was transitory? Well, he got that one completely and totally wrong. But for everybody that hoped that, okay, maybe we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel, these numbers suggest that is not the case. The light at the end of the tunnel is a train coming the other way. We're all in the same leaky boat. Live from the Annex Wealth
1: Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. I'm going to do something that distinguishes me. There's many differences between me and the president of the United States, Joe Biden, but I'm going to do one right now. I'm going to admit I was wrong. I was wrong. Wouldn't you love to hear Joe Biden come out and say that I was wrong? I was wrong when I started pushing all this spending through, which helped fuel the inflationary pressures. I was wrong when I said inflation was going to be transitory. Wouldn't you love to just have him say I I was wrong and then I've learned from my my mistakes and I'm going to do different things? But now we don't expect that. But I was wrong. Because right before the break, I was talking about Social Security, and I said the Social Security cost of living increase was going to be 8.2%. I was wrong. A couple people called me out on it, and that's true. Actually, the benefits are going to rise 8.7%. And, you know, what happened is, going back to the 1970s, Social Security was tied—the idea was people who were on Social Security— We did not want them to lose ground. So um, Social Security was going to be indexed to the inflation rate. And as the cost of living went up, you would get increases. If you are a baby boomer, you next year and you're on Social Security, you are going to see the biggest increase. And baby boomers are people born between the years of 1946 and 1964. I'm in that category. If you are on Social Security, you will see the biggest increase you have ever seen 8.7%. 8.7%. Now, again, there, there's it's good to the extent that you're going to have more, month, more money every month is going to be put in your bank account on the third Wednesday of the month. I think that's how they, they do it in general. So you're going to have more money that's put into your account. So that's good. The bad news is the reason, of course, you're getting that 8.7% increase is because, that's just what's needed to theoretically keep you even because the cost of everything else has gone up 8.7%. Unfortunately, in some areas, it's gone up more than that. So the the idea that that's actually going to put more money in people's pocketbooks or wallets, yeah, objectively, yes, but you're not going to be able to buy anymore. But that's the, that's, that is the the good news. It's an eight point seven percent increase. The bad news is it just lets you tread water. But here's the the other thing that that's that's bad, and one of our texters kind of made a snippy reference, and it's why I want to go back to this. The problem we have right now is that, of course, and and we've gone through this before with Social Security. I think people need to understand that Social Security you you pay into it. Those of us who are working pay into it, and we have a Social Security account, but our money isn't in a, a particular bank account. It's not like the money I put into a bank account, which is mine. What happens is the money I pay into Social Security goes into the Social Security fund. I get a credit for it, but the money that I put in is used to pay current benefits. And so the idea is... That you know, people—the people that are working—will continue to put in enough money so that the obligations for those who've retired and collecting Social Security will continue to be covered. Well, again, as we've talked about, that that's not working because um, last year Social Security ran a deficit of hundred and twenty-seven billion dollars. This was in twenty twenty-one, meaning. That the amount of money that was paid out to people who were receiving the Social Security benefits um, exceeded the amount of money that was coming in by $127 billion. So what's happening is this trust fund that's there, they have reserves, but, you know, it's just like your own, think about it, like your own, you know, personal bank account, all right? If you're bringing in Let's say you've got twenty grand that's sitting in your bank account just for the sake of argument, and you bring in thousand dollars a month, but you spend two thousand dollars a month well your 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 assets your nest egg is going to go down, and you know it doesn't mean it's going to disappear automatically, but if you spend twice if you spend thousand dollars more than you bring in your you know every year for example or every month that that balance that you have is going to go down, and pretty soon it hits zero and then Then, you know, you've got to change something. So the estimates now are, under existing predictions, the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be exhausted by 2034. And my guess is these projections, it was made before the 8.7% cost of living increase was announced. So I would assume that this moves that up a little bit. So the bottom line is, If we continue doing what we are doing, the Social Security Trust Fund is out of money um, come, uh, again, 2034 or or whenever that would be, maybe 2033, maybe 2032. And and then you have to deal with, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to cut back benefits? Where is the money going to come from? So that's one of the other bad things, that if you increase the amount of money that's going out, you – You dissipate it quicker, which is one of the real frustrating things about this current campaign, you know, one of the issues that's being run against Ron Johnson, and we had him on the air just yesterday, again, addressing this, and a couple of the texters said, well, Ron Johnson, he, he wants to get rid of Social Security. He's going to bankrupt that. He wants to, he wants to um, you know, run this out. He wants to, like, have it reviewed every year. And what Ron Johnson says is, yeah, I want to have it reviewed every year because the bottom line is what we're doing now is not sustainable. We have to look at overall government spending. And he's saying, I want to prioritize Social Security. that That's it. I want to make sure that people continue to get their benefits. I don't want to see benefits cut. But the reality is we have to constantly assess that in order to maintain the obligation that the government has, I think, to all of us who have paid into social security and have made retirement plans or are in retirement, you know, based on what we project that to be, you know, we, we, we have to recognize that it is a train wreck that is coming down the line. And Johnson is saying, Hey, look, I, yeah, I, I want to look at this every year. I want to look at spending. I want to make sure that what we're doing is going to guarantee that there is going to be social security, not just for my generation, but for the next generation and for the generation after that. But, of course, in today's political climate, you can't say that because people say, oh, that means he wants to get rid of Social Security. They just want to pretend that there's not a problem. And I guess my point is we've got to stop pretending that there there aren't problems. We, we have to look at spending, and we have to look and say, okay, if we're going to continue to meet our obligations under Social Security and we're spending $157 billion more every year than we're taking in – what are we going to do to change this around how do we guarantee the benefits and what does that mean does it mean that we have to you know increase the social security tax does it mean that we have to raise the, the limit? It's it's capped. There's a certain dollar amount that above that you don't pay into the Social Security. I don't know what the exact answer is, but I know that it is stupid. Yeah, I'm using that word. It's stupid to just say we can't have this conversation because we're afraid that, you know, a guy like Mandela Barnes is going to run a TAC ad saying, well, he wants to get rid of Social Security. No, we got to look at Social Security and figure out how to save it. And pretending that there's not a problem is just... Well, it's short-sighted at best, and it's just flat stupid at worse. When we come back, carry a gun should you have to have insurance. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around. Um, here, here's breaking news, and I, I understand this isn't, uh, it's not a Wisconsin story, but it's a story that I think, you know, we all um, had followed at a time. You will remember the, the Parkland school shooting, uh, Marjorie Stoneman school, where you had a gunman, Nicholas Cruz, who murdered 17 people, including a, a number of of uh, number of kids. Um, he pled guilty last year to seventeen counts of murder and seventeen counts of attempted murder. This was again valentine 's day twenty eighteen the shooting at marjorie stoneman douglas high school um in 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 Florida under Florida, they have a they, they do have the death penalty, and it 's up to the jury to decide you know whether he he gets the death penalty or not this this would be, I think the the perfect case for a death penalty, and yet you've had a lengthy trial. The defense essentially was arguing that, well, he shouldn't get the death penalty because you know he had a screwed up upbringing that if I would summarize it, that was it. you know he he um you know he had a screwed up upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. the victims' families, and I, I watched some of this testimony very, very compelling, one after another. You know, talking about what it was like to find out that their children had been murdered by um Nicholas Cruz, and they were arguing, of course, in, in favor of the death penalty the The breaking story is uh, to the extreme upset of the family surviving family members, the jury today recommended life without the possibility of parole for Nicholas Cruz. His formal sentencing date is November 1st. That, of course, is is a formality. Under Florida law, the judge cannot depart from the jury's recommendation of life. So the jury essentially decided that regardless of what the vast majority, if not all of the victims wanted, in other words, the the death penalty for somebody who murdered 17 people, they decided to put their sympathies with the—in this case, the the shooter— And recommend life in prison without parole. So for the next 40, 50, 60 years, however long Nicholas Cruz lives, um, he will be supported by the taxpayers of the state of Florida. And I'm just kind of scrolling through victim, surviving family member after surviving family member, um, widow of a Parkland murder. Jury's decision says the shooter's life meant more than the 17 that were murdered. Jury's decision unjust. Parkland Parkland victim's cousin says teacher's parents say no doubt their son's killer should have received the death penalty. Um, Helena Ramsey's mother, the wrong verdict was given out today. Uh, and, you know, the unfortunate thing about this is that um, another family's parents, 14-year-old victim's parents, disgusted with the jury's decision, the decision, uh, this verdict continues, the system continues to fail us. It it goes on and on and on. And I guess, I mean, part of the problem is you you have these family members who were victimized in the first place and now that they're victimized uh, again, and essentially the jury decided that we're going to spare the shooter, somebody who murdered 17 people, because he had a crappy upbringing. To which I would say, lots of people have crummy upbringings, and they don't go on a murderous spree where they murder 17 people. Um, but yet the jury has decided the taxpayers will continue to support him for The rest of his life, decades and decades and decades, and the victims are just absolutely outraged. And I think a number of them are correctly saying the system has completely and totally failed them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, The way the death penalty works in different states that have it, Wisconsin, of course, we don't have the death penalty. It's different in different states. In Florida, the way it works is the, the jury decides whether the death penalty should be ordered and it has to be unanimous meaning if one member of the 12 person jury refuses to go along with the unanim- that with the death penalty then it it's automatically life in prison without parole. Now that's a little bit different than like the regular jury trial where the jury has to be unanimous on either guilt or or not guilty. Otherwise they're they're hung. But in the death penalty situation, all you need is, is one juror to say, no, I'm I'm not convinced that the death penalty is appropriate and then the death penalty can't be administered. So we don't know whether it might have been 11 out of the 12 jurors who believed the death penalty was appropriate don't know about that. The jury, interestingly, did find that there were—they aggra- asked him some questions at, on, the, on the jury form. They asked the questions about whether there were aggravating factors that could warrant the death sentence, and the jury said yes, but they said they did not outweigh the mitigating circumstances. So I was kind of curious about this because I'm thinking, okay, you know, this monster— has murdered 17 people. 17 people. What could be the mitigating circumstances against the death penalty? Um, and here's what they said The shooter's birth mother used alcohol. The shooter's birth mother used alcohol. Okay. I hope moving forward that that's not going to turn into a justification for okay, we're not going to you know you you this doesn't apply because you know your the the your your birth mother used alcohol, his adoptive parents failed to get him proper psychiatric care all right, and he admitted he was guilty, okay, so those are the mitigating factors. he admitted he murdered seventeen people, okay, his birth mother used alcohol and his adoptive parents screwed up by not getting improper psychiatric care, none of which, it seems to me, is anything that changes the fact that, by the way, he murdered 17 people. Family members, this is the account, family members of the victims were visibly emotional, some shaking their heads, others um, wiping away tears. And uh, again, the, the prosecution and the family members this, this, I think they feel, again, like they were victimized. One of the uh, people said, I'm disgusted with our legal system. I'm disgusted with those jurors. I pray that that animal suffers every day of his life in jail, and I hope that he has a short life. And I think that the scary thing is, is that, you know, what you've now done in Florida with this jury's verdict is they've set a precedent for other mass shooters, including you know okay now is, is this what the standard is is going to be that gee like i said you have a crummy upbringing you have a bad childhood and and you know maybe there were warning signs that you were not stable you didn't get enough psychiatric care earlier so now we're we're not going to impose the death penalty when you go out and murder 17 people it's it's just a black day on the justice system there, there's no question a major black eye for the justice system i think the jury completely failed the families today and set a huge Huge precedent that is not for the good. This is the latest effort to try to rein in the rights of people to carry firearms. And I'm curious as to what your reaction to it is. Now, in Wisconsin, if you want to carry a firearm, a concealed firearm, What you do is you get a permit, and I can remember – I mean I remember when we were having this debate. Wisconsin was the second last uh, state, I think in the union, to to go along with some form of legalized concealed carry. But what you do is you put in a request for a permit. You pay whatever the fee is. You have to go through a a training course – which explains your rights and obligations as, and under, under the law. And then, you know, assuming you pass the background check, meaning that there's no reason why you can't own a firearm, you, you get to have – you get to carry the gun. You get that, that concealed carry permit. Now, I have always argued that I would like to see another component added to that rule in Wisconsin, and that is an, an element of proficiency training – because I, I have always believed that the worst thing you can do, the only thing that's worse than needing a gun and not having it, is needing a gun, having it, and not knowing how to use it. And I admit it, it's always been troubling to me that you have that you, you, can, you can get the gun. You can never have fired a gun in your life. You can get the concealed carry permit, you can legally carry it, but you never have to prove that you know how to use the gun. And that's, and I, I mean, I've told this story before in another life, I went through a couple of years where i I was deputized to carry a firearm because of what i what i did but but you had to i had to go down i think it was like every six months and I had to prove I had to pass a proficiency test i had to prove that I knew how to shoot with the with the gun and so I ended up doing that. Uh, but we, we don't require that nowadays, and and I've always believed that there should be a proficiency element to it. The, the best justification I would give is we don't just say, hey, you're 16 years old. Here's the keys. Go drive on the freeway, um, although we're getting closer to that in Wisconsin now that we've done away with road tests. But anyhow, I, I, I think if I were the king, I would tweak some of the concealed carry laws because I do – I think a proficiency test is required – However, there's some states that are carrying it farther and farther. OK, New Jersey, the, the powers that be in New Jersey really don't want private citizens carrying firearms in, in public. Right? They, they don't. Uh, unfortunately for them, the Supreme Court's decision a while back, which um, really struck down a, a number of these restrictive rules that New Jersey and New York had, for example, um so New Jersey has had to adjust to this. Well, here's the latest idea. In New Jersey, there is legislation which is comparable to what they're doing in New York, but here's here's what it requires. In order to be able to carry a firearm in public, all right, you, you have discretion to issue the licenses, but if you wanted to carry a firearm outside the home in New Jersey— you'd have to, number one, apply for a concealed carry permit. Okay, So you'd have to apply for the permit. You'd have to pay for it. But as a condition of getting it, you would have to demonstrate and carry liability insurance, liability insurance um, in case something goes wrong with that. So, you know, you'd have to, uh, again, go to the insurance company, you'd have to carry a liability insurance company. This would be, I think, the first state which would mandate, if they pass this, and they probably will, mandate you get an insurance policy liability for you carrying the firearm. So presumably, if something goes wrong, you could be sued, but also the insurance carrier would be sued. And if you can't afford liability insurance, well, then you're just out of luck the state would say you can't carry the gun. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, what do you think? Is it reasonable for a state to say if you want to essentially exercise your Second Amendment right, you have to have insurance and you have to prove you have insurance? 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. 855 616 1620, which is a WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, New Jersey, which up until a recent Supreme Court decision had one of the most restrictive rules on gun ownership in the country. Now, that course, New Jersey also has an incredibly high crime rate, but you know they've decided we want to make it difficult for otherwise law-abiding firearms owners to own firearms. And so their, their latest thing is, okay, in order to get a permit to allow you to carry a firearm, one of the things we're looking at is requiring you to show proof of insurance, just like for example, in Wisconsin, you're supposed to have proof of insurance before you drive a car. Now, we, we know how that works out, you know, um, but, you, but you're supposed to do that. One of our texters says, Jeff, sure, criminals are going to get gun insurance. Can I sell you the bridge? Jeff, the gun insurance requirement is another tactic that takes away the rights of law-abiding citizens and does nothing for public safety. Do they really think criminals are going to apply for a permit, much less get insurance for their firearms? Good Grief. 855-616-1620. Jeff, all this paying for permits and insurance is just the government trying to shaft people out of more money. It's all crooked government. I'll carry a gun if I feel like it. Did you ever hear of the Second Amendment? Jeff, I agree as a concealed carry permit holder. I wonder if the convicted felon has to carry insurance on their personal firearms. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, John on the north side. John, good afternoon.
0: Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I think uh, I don't see nothing wrong with having insurance. Um, you know, in case something happens, then you have a you have an attorney to fight for you. You know, I, I mean, um, I don't see no nothing wrong with that. I mean, I mean, I would get it uh, insurance if I can buy it. Okay, you
2: know, well that, without see, that was making me do it. Okay, but see that was that was my that was my question. What if? What if you can't afford it? What if the, for example, in, in, you know, in Florida, lots of people don't have flood insurance because it's just so expensive. So they, they just can't afford it. Um, and what if, what if that's the situation? What if, hey, you, you want to carry the gun, but you can't afford the, the insurance because, I don't know, there's no insurance companies that sell it or the cost is so great. What, what if you can't afford it? Should you not be able to have a gun then?
0: No, I think you should still be able to have a gun because yeah. it is the
2: amendment. Yeah, you know. Um, no, see, I mean, th- yeah, I, I mean, see, I, that's I the just, issue. I just, no, no, th- and thanks to, look, I, look, I, I get it. I mean, I understand that you're, you're you're talking to somebody who believes in insurance. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I support the the state's rule that we have in Wisconsin to you know you should have automobile insurance. Matter of fact, I think you can make a strong argument that your limit should should be higher because that's there to protect the other people that's there to protect, you know, the people that are hurt through your negligence. But we we know that it's somewhat of a joke because a lot of the reckless driving, a lot of that, it's not done. People, if you're driving a stolen car, you're driving a car without a license or whatever, you're not carrying insurance on that. And there's really almost no penalty for that. Well, this, this is this other issue. I, I mean, I don't even know where you go to get gun insurance, to tell you the truth. I'm not sure that right now that there's any insurance companies in the country that are writing gun insurance policies. I'm not positive that there's any. Maybe you could get some coverage under your homeowner's policy. I, I don't know. But I don't think there's a lot that are doing this. But but if there are, my, my guess is it's going to be extremely expensive. L- let's understand what this is all about. This this is about the government trying to make it more difficult for people to be able to carry firearms. I mean, this—how this, this, this how many cases do you have, seriously, of, of a—let's think about Wisconsin—of a concealed carry permit holder who ends up misusing that permit and ending up being, being liable? I mean, it, it's—can it happen? Yeah, I guess it, it can happen— but as a practical matter, if we were to say to all the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have concealed carry permits in the state of Wisconsin, by the way, you, you've had this permit, you carry your gun, you've never had any problems with that at all, but now we're going to make you spend an extra three or $4,000 or whatever the amount might be on, on buying you know, gun insurance permits. I, I think a lot of people would say, hey, look, if, if you do that, we, we can no longer afford to, to carry the, the firearms, so it's effectively a way the government has of of taking our guns away. It's also, you want to talk about something that is regressive, regressive in the fact that it has a much greater impact on less wealthy people than it has on wealthy people. So let, let's say, for the sake of argument, and again, I don't know what the gun insurance premium would be. I don't even know how you'd write a, a gun insurance policy. but But let's say... Let's say the you write one and it's twenty five hundred bucks a year. It's just for the sake of argument. Maybe it would be four thousand. Maybe it would be a thousand. I don't know. Let this just take twenty five hundred for the sake of argument. Well, okay. If you're somebody that doesn't have an extra twenty five hundred dollars, but nevertheless lives in a high crime area, um, you're, you're now in an, in an awful choice. The government says you can legally have this firearm but we're going to essentially put this extra tax on you. You're going to have to spend $2,500 a year or whatever that number is, or else you're not going to be able to legally carry your firearm. Well, if you've got somebody that's got more wherewithal, they're not going to like it. Um, Chances are a lot of those people might have figured out the insurance question anyhow, but the people that, that don't have any money, you're essentially telling them we're going to put this requirement on. You're not going to be able to pay for it. So you're not going to be able to carry a gun. That's... I just think that's fundamentally wrong. look, i'm I'm all in favor of of putting various restrictions. I think, you know, like I say, I if I were king, I'd put a proficiency training standard on for, for getting the firearms permit. I, I think that's something that only makes sense. But when you try to put some of these other things out there, like an insurance requirement, absent any indication that it's really something that's necessary, all you're trying to do is use the government to price some people out of the ability to carry firearms. And I guess I just think that's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and by the way, I am aware that there are, for example, there's a place in Wisconsin that for Wisconsin concealed carrier carry holders, if you want to, if you want to take out a liability insurance policy, you can. That's not necessarily saying it's going to be the same thing in New Jersey. And the point is, it's one thing. I mean, I think it's a good idea if i don 't have a concealed carry permit, but I think you'd want to make sure that there was some degree of liability coverage there just to protect yourself in the event of of lawsuits or things of the like but but that's the fact that you know there's something there is different than the government saying that you have to have it all right here's an interesting little story, a blast from the past uh Charlie who's producing my show today Charlie, do you know what i what a time machine is if I say and I'm not talking about H.G. Wells, you know, and the the movie. If I say time machine, do you know what that would be?
3: You don't mean like the way back Machine,
2: like on archive.org or whatever? No, I don't. So, so if I say time machine and I'm telling you I'm not talking about like the the time machine and H.G. Wells' time machine that takes you back in time. Right. You, you don't know what a time machine yeah,
3: is. Yeah, you're not talking about like a clock or anything? No, no. I'm not. Okay. okay,
2: good enough. All right, thank you. I'll, I'll, but I, I understand that's because you of a certain age and you did not grow up around here for th- this is, it's kind of something that um, there were only a couple of states which were familiar with time machines. But back back in the day, uh, you know, back in the day, up until 2004, AT- what are now called ATM machines, which, you know, are automated tellers. That's where we're going to the ATM to get the thing. Up until 2004 in Wisconsin, just like in Wisconsin, we refer to water fountains as bubblers. You know, people come here and they go, "You didn't know that, did you? Either you never heard that." No, I've had people call them bubblers. I just thought they were messing with me, but no, 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 no. That's that. That is that is a unique Wisconsin thing. I, I mean, I, yes, they're they called bubblers. That, but, but it's what most people know is as, as water fountains, right? So, right. but they, they call them, you know, they, they call them bubblers. smoke okay, um, Wisconsin, when the ATM you know the automated teller machines first came out they were called time machines um which stands for take your money everywhere t y m e and so um that's i mean that that's that's sort of what i grew up with and to i admit old habits die hard they they the last time machine disappeared in wisconsin in 2004 but to this to this day because old habits do die hard the i i will from time to time, for say, okay, I'm going over to the time machine. I, I that's that's what I do, and I'm not looking to go back to 1982. It's just that that's what I think of it. Where's where is the nearest time machine? Because that's what I grew up with. Well, anyhow, um, here's the interesting story. Landmark Credit Union, I give them a free plug, is bringing back the time machine. They are now um, announcing the new Time Advanced ATMs across their branch network. put out this news release which say, hey, for nearly 30 years, the Time Machine was a beloved and iconic Wisconsin brand, um, and they are now bringing them back. So, I mean, that's what they're calling the ATMs. Officials say the Time, T-Y-M-E, Advanced ATMs, found that landmark credit union feature 21st century cap- capabilities to make branch banking faster and more convenient. So what it sounds like they're doing is they're just kind of rebranding their, their current ATMs, and they're replacing them with time-advanced ATMs. And I'm not sure that that's going to be any different than what you could do with the ATM. But I just, I love, I love the idea that the time machine is back. Jeff, I still call it a time machine, too. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just, again, it's old habits die hard. I, I was seriously, okay, I was down in Florida last winter. And I I I asked I asked somebody who was not from around here, I said, Where's the nearest time machine? True true story. And they, they looked at me like, you know, what's what's going on, Jeff? I said, you know, I that's I said, no. I mean I mean ATM. Oh, well there's an ATM right around the corner there. Right. You know, and ATMs are in fact the the time machines. Jeff, I remember it too. Take your money out everywhere, right? See, I, I'm absolutely being swamped with people who remember the different time machines. Jeff, it's an ATM. I still call it that. Well, right. It's it's this, um, Jeff, um, I'm 26 and all I've ever heard is that they are called ATMs, right? Well, because again, this was the, the time machine T-Y-M-E was Wisconsin, and I want to say a part of Arizona, and I could be wrong about that. I, I think there were a couple limited other pockets in the country that had these time machines, but everywhere else in the world, or everywhere else in the United States, it was it was an ATM, and that's what you all grew up with. I mean, you know, no question about you know, no question about that. So that's the uh, that's the nature of this. Yes, I'm getting texts from people all over the country saying. Um, yeah, that's, this is it, Jeff. I still call it a time machine. I had to explain what that means to my sons who are now 30 and 23. Um, yeah, Jeff, I won't forget the looks I got in Dover, Delaware when I asked for a time machine years ago. Um, yes, there's no question about that. Jeff, um, I was working at Capitol court. A man asked my coworker who was from Chicago, where the time machine was, my buddy looked at him like he was some kind of weirdo. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, Jeff, I think take your money every time is money was a great slogan as well. Okay, Jeff, I'm 57, and I sometimes still refer to it as a time machine. Okay, so I guess I I bring this up just for... I don't know, everything that's old is new again. If you're wondering, if you're driving past Landmark Credit Union and you see this thing that says time machine and you are of not a certain age, it's an ATM. It's an ATM. They're going back to the future. When we come back, I want to talk about something that is completely and totally different than something we normally talk about. It's actually, I get the story idea from something that happened across the country, but it's very personal to me and maybe it'll be personal to you as well.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Um, the, the This is really weird. As, as we talked about at the start of the program, the... Uh, The the inflation report came out and inflation is still hot. I mean, it's 8.2% year to year for September to September. And that's that's showing that what what we're doing right now isn't stopping inflation. And look, the stock market has just been plunging like day after day. I'm not telling you anything if you haven't if you have, you know, you look at your, if you track it every day, well, good luck to that. If you just look at your quarterly statements, you, you see all the money you've lost and it's been going down and down and down and down and down. And so inflation, it like earlier this morning, like pre-market, I was looking and now oh, the Dow Jones was going to be up a little bit. The inflation report comes out at eight o'clock and, and boom, the, the market just takes a, you know what, boom. And it, it's down a couple hundred points. And then I, I sat down, I, I didn't get a chance to look at it again until I sat down here at noon and and it's completely and totally rebounded. The Dow Jones it, it is up 946 points for for the day. Uh, that's a 3.24 percent increase. The Nasdaq is up 2.5 uh, percent, 268 points. So I mean, it, it's it's just a huge day on Wall Street. And because one of the questions that people are asking, as a matter of fact, a number of people are texting, why why is the market? You got you got bad inflation numbers. Why is the market up so much? And I don't think anybody actually knows other than I think some of the general sentiment was the stock market has just been beaten down so much over the course of the last couple weeks that at some point in time, you you get a little bit of a bounce and and that might be, you know, what's happening. You finally get investors that say, well, okay, maybe, maybe the hit the market has taken has just been too great over the course of the last, you know, several weeks and months, but um, bad inflationary news but the market has rebounded today, and I can't give you a very good explanation beyond that. If I knew exactly how the stock market operated, I'd probably be a more wealthy man than I am. So that's it. All right. I, I want to. There, there was a story in the LA Times, of all places, that it caught my attention, and I wanted to use it as a springboard for discussion with you. And it. It kind of ties into I mean, what I do for a living and what I've done for a living um, coming up in November. I mean, I've been here. I'm in my 25th year here at WTMJ and um, full or part-time. I started part-time uh, one summer and then coming up in about four or five weeks, it'll be the start of the, we'll be starting the 25th season of the full-time of the Wagner program and worked at another station up to dial for a couple of years. So, I mean, I've been you know, full or part-time in this market for going on you know, 27, 28 years, which has been just, just a wonderful blessing to be able to do this. But it, it got me thinking, because here's the deal, uh, San Francisco, which is, I think, the number three or four radio market in, in the country, you know, based on, on population, there's a, there's a news talk station in San Francisco, it's an AM station, it's called KGO, and it's it's been around just, just forever. It's one of these, you know, kind of sort of an iconic AM station. Now, unlike us, where, you know, we are one of the, you know, top stations in many months we're the top station in the market, it varies a little bit by according to the ratings, KGO it was I think when I last looked, it was like number nineteen or twenty in 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 their market. So it wasn't like it was a market leader as based on ratings or anything like that, but it was this iconic station, you know, talk programming and things like that that connected the community. What they did last week, well actually it started, it was on Monday. They they did a format switch without telling anybody. Like Monday morning, they apparently got rid of, they just fired, you know, all their their news talk hosts. And they they went to a format change, a sports gambling format. They branded the station something called the Spread, with the slogan that says the Bay, the Bay's best bet on sports. And you know what it's going to do is. Apparently they're they're programming. I think a lot of it's like syndicated and stuff, and it's going to be giving people advice on you know how you bet on football games or basketball games or, or whatever. So they, they they made the switch. That's not necessarily the the story. Um, that you but you take this iconic station that has been a talk station for years and years and years. And even though, like I say, it wasn't a dominant station by ratings in the market, it had like lots and lots of loyal listeners. And it just one morning you wake up, it it's gone. And instead people who are tuning in to hear whoever what whoever's doing their morning show and he or she is gone and instead it's yeah, you know, people you know giving you the the lines on the upcoming you know, Packers Jets game or whatever that might be. But the story in the LA Times talked about how People were just outraged at having lost those voices and the ability, you know, to just talk about the issues and things like that. And I mean, the station, I think, knew that they were going to get heat, and they really don't care. They've decided they can make more money doing that. But it it was interesting reading the story because you really, and then some of the follow-up stuff, you really got to see the way people felt connected to this particular radio station and this KGO and, and the way they felt when all of a sudden it had completely, you know, disappeared, at least what they had grown up listening to was completely gone. And, and I, I've really been thinking uh, about this as I think about, like, my career, my second career in radio and all. And, you know, for years and years and years and years, decades, you know, people have been predicting this is it for radio. You know, radio, this is, you know, television's going to come along and television's going to destroy radio, and, and it didn't. And then there was the, okay, well, you're going to have, you know, we've got all this digital stuff that's out there, you know, and and digital is going to destroy spoken word radio. And by any objective measure, it it, it hasn't. And I guess I've always thought it's because there is a, there's something about radio and spoken word radio in particular, like the theater of the mind and things like that, that, that just people find appealing. And there's always going to be a spot for it. I and and so I, I want to have this conversation with you. And and I have a, a sincere question. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Why do you listen to the radio? And and, and this isn't about like any particular host necessarily. It's about the fact that if if you're If you're one of the hundreds, sometimes thousands of people a day who sends me texts or the the emails or calls or whatever, there's obviously something about radio, whether it's the morning show or my show or other shows that are on there, that that you find appealing. And I guess my question is, what is it? Because I've been, again, I'm looking at this response. They completely change formats and people go just nuts. They're just really, really angry with that. What is it? about radio that makes you listen our number 855-616-1620 we discuss and take calls in just a moment there is something about radio that i just and, and i mean i feel it I, I feel it too i mean it's there is just this the connection there's something about radio that's different than all sorts of other mediums and and, and by the way i i Contrary to popular belief, some people think, well, it's only people that, that agree with you and your positions, for example. No, that that's not true. We we have we have a number of listeners that I I mean, I, I lump them and I say this affectionately. I it's like I lump them in the category of the I hate you every day crowd because I, I just hate what you're saying. But yet, you know, people listen. So there's it's not necessarily just the agreement. It's this, there's something about the medium. And what i me thinking about this is, like I say, the number 20 radio station in San Francisco that's been news talk forever flips its format. And, you know, now it goes to sports betting and people are just outraged. But I got to thinking about what, what was it, what is it that makes the connection that, that maybe other mediums don't have? Let's start with Rick in Greenfield. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. Um, I kind of think that I take in more from radio than I do from TV because TV really requires you to visually look at the uh, you know at the television. And here I consciously actually take in a whole lot more when I'm driving and I'm right. listening. I create my own picture in my mind, and uh, you know it creates a story, and it's mm-hmm. really effortless. Uh, watching TV actually is takes work sometimes. Well, well you so right. I yeah. enjoy the fact.
2: I'm sorry. No, go. Ahead. I, was, I was interrupting you and that was rude. Just, what, <laughs> go
0: oh, ahead. No, yeah. no, not at all. I said, I, I enjoy the fact that I have the the variety and the ease of uh, taking a ride. And yeah. for some reason it goes hand in hand. You know, it's like, uh, you know, like super sandwich, you know, you, you drive and you listen. And it's, uh, it's just for me, more, way more inspiring. Great. I like it. It's yeah. it's
2: great. Outstanding. Well, thanks thanks for the call. We we appreciate that. And I guess I that is That connection. Here's one of our our regular listeners who lives in in Wolverhampton, England. You know, Jeff, I love the radio because I can listen while doing other things. I have WTMJ on in the background pretty much all day. Um, You can't do that with television. Also, television can't go around corners. You can have a radio in one room and you can listen to another. I think there's an element of that. Let's talk to Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, I've I've been listening to WTMJ, like I told uh, your screener, your producer, uh, for over 60 years. And I just love the station. Uh, I listen to Steve in the morning. I've been listening to you since you've been on. And uh, it's just a variety of things that you talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm not too crazy about the politics, I'll tell you right off, But I listen anyway. And it's just a fun, fun way. And after you're done, I I put the TV (laughs) on and listen to I watch the oldies on my TV.
2: Well, there you go. Thanks, to calling. Now, I'm not going to, I, I, you know, hopefully I'm not the oldie, but I appreciate you listening. Jeff, I listen to WTMJ most of the day. I have college kids working for me during the summer hours, and they listen along. They yell out, Steve, when Scafidi comes on, and Jeff, when you come on. We listen because we love staying up to date with the news. It's a bonus to dissect the news with intelligent and level-headed guys like yourself, well, that's very kind. Some people might disagree with this, um, Jeff. By listening to talk radio, I learn something every day. It's um, it broadens my perspective, hearing other people's viewpoints. Granted, um, someday the only thing I learned is that other people are idiots. But I do like to hear those things every day. See, I think there. I, I do think that that's that, that's that's one of the elements. It is. It's the it's the it's the personal connection with the community and i do feel strongly that that's one of the that's one of the real things that goes on with spoken word radio and it's why it's why there is that connection that's out there you you don't you don't necessarily agree with the host but you, you okay? This is this is the person, and this is you know, and, and especially if if the hosts are good enough and they can you know talk about topics that people relate to and things like that. I mean, I will have people come up to me who will talk about something they heard me do on the radio 15 years ago, and they remember it like it was yesterday because it, it touched a nerve, and that's that's extremely rewarding, and that's. That's what spoken word radio does, and it's why I guess I firmly believe that this medium is is always going to be around. Now, music radio is a little bit more of a challenge. I I just I'm glad I'm glad I'm not a disc jockey. I'm I'm glad I'm not in in, you know marketing those sort of stations because the the thing is there's so many different options now for you know getting you know, getting music radio that, you know, you every, you can stream the stuff. And I understand that, you know, our challenge in spoken word radio is that, you know, there's podcasts and things like that, but there's still something about being, you know, live that I think, you know, has, has an appeal. Jeff, as a working mom, this is sometimes my only way to take in the news. I usually don't have time to watch, but I can listen into the car, and while I work, multitasking is, is best. Jeff, simply for me, I, I love the fact that it's interactive. Um, yeah, um, that, that's, you know, that's, I think it, um, Jeff radio is the only medium you can listen to and learn and still do something productive at the same time. You can't do that with reading, with the TV, with the internet. Well, I mean, we are, I think the background music, I think, in some respects of, of people's lives, one of the greatest compliments people can ever pay me is that that if you're in your car and you're listening and you get to where you're going and they decide I sat in my car an extra five minutes because I wanted to hear where the topic goes. That that to me to me that's one of the greatest compliments you could pay because it means that we've kind of, you know, registered with people. Jeff, um I listen to the radio because of the connection and the topics that are relatable um plus i get same sick of the same songs that get played out there there is a there is a certain point where you say okay i've heard the stairway to heaven you know 150 times that's you know that's the you know that's the issue jeff talk radio is awesome i listen in my car well that's very kind of you thank you um jeff i enjoy it i don't always agree with the host, but I enjoy hearing it well that's that's the trick, Jeff. I started listening when I drove a lot, got tired of music, so I started listening to talk radio, and I feel like I'm accomplishing something, hopelessly learning hopefully learning something instead of of driving well that's i mean again that's that's kind of the challenges that that I think you know we have if you're going to you don't have to agree, but maybe if oh that that's kind of an interesting take on something or that's something that i haven't heard of before, but it is that connection. Um, Jeff, I started listening because I liked your segment on Channel 4. That goes back a number of years when I used to do TV. Uh, listening is easier than watching television. Sure. Jeff, I I listen to the radio because I get information while doing other things. I can have my morning coffee, drive to and from work, clean the house, work outside without having to be glued to the TV. Also, radio people are very easy to listen to. They become part of the family. Yeah, I think there's—I do think— There's an element of that, and I've always said this, and like one of the listeners was talking about it, there was a six- or seven-year period where I, in addition to the radio show, I did television on on Channel 4 between 3 and 4 o'clock, and one of the things I've always said is that people recognize you from TV. Oh, I saw you're, you're the guy on TV, but they know you from radio because unless you're a complete and total and I guess I don't think the people that are complete and total fakes make it very long in this business. But unless you're a complete and total fake, you're, you're here and you're talking for you can't sit and talk to people for three hours a day, five days a week, you know, 50 weeks a year or 46 weeks a year or <laughs> it translates. You You, you can't not be somewhat real. So people get to think they know you. And especially like people who listen regularly, there ends up being a connection. And I feel a connection with you, and I hope you feel a connection with me. You know, it is it is all those things. But I just, I was reading this story, and I thought, man, this, you know, you've got this iconic radio station that suddenly flips formats, and all of a sudden it's sports betting of all different things. And I understand why people are upset. I know from my perspective as a consumer, I'd be extremely upset about that as well. It's just This is a medium that is unlike any other. And if you can't tell that I love my job, I love my job, and I feel I've been very, very blessed to have been able to do it for as long as I have in this market. Okay, why do you love radio? I was just talking, Mike Spaulding, about you know this this station KGO in in San Francisco, which has been news talk forever. They just changed formats without them telling anybody. Monday fired all the hosts and went to sports betting. And and people, you know, it's it's not. It's like number twentieth in the market or whatever. But people are just absolutely outraged because they feel this connection to the, the radio. Now you're a younger guy. You could you could choose to be in TV, you could choose to do journal, you know, print journalism. You know, you chose radio. What is it special about radio?
3: Um, what is it special about radio? Well, I wanted to do print journalism and then decided wisely that that's probably not the route to go. Um no, what I like about radio is that you're, you're there are opportunities where you're kind of flying without a without a parachute a little bit. Uh, yesterday was a perfect example where during we had coverage, that yeah, surprise weather. coverage where uh, you don't get that opportunity. TV you do a little bit in the weather, but I mean if there's something going on. Last year we're looking at the January 6th hearing going on right now. I remember when January 6th happened. It was during your show, and Eric and I got to come in and we got to talk about what was going right. on as we were watching it unfold. And that's just that's rare in media to have a platform to be able to do that. That is not like the Mike Spaulding YouTube channel or something along those lines. So I liked that ability. Uh, I also love playing around with audio. Like when I first started doing it in college, I had no idea this was a profession. Didn't know people went to school for it. Um, And when I like first opened up Adobe audition and could like realize what you can do and manipulate stuff in a good way, manipulate stuff, but tell these interesting stories. That was it for me. I loved it right then.
2: I had no idea it was a profession either. Twenty seven years later, twenty eight years later, I'm still doing it. Well, my parents be. still
3: don't know if it's a profession or not. When are you going to get a real <laughs> job and do something? You know, when are you going to do something with your hands or something like that? No, I, I, uh, I fell in love with it pretty much immediately. The first newscast I ever did, I uh, subbed in for a person in college who just didn't show up, so I had like for fifty seconds to uh, cobble together like some ramshackled newscast and. Did it once and left kind of feeling fulfilled about it, and I was I was hooked ever since. Well, if your parents ever give you static, just, just send them over to me. I'll straighten them out. <laughs> I had no problem doing
2: that at all. Greg Matzik, you, that's, you, we're talking about what we love about radio and stuff. That, yeah. I, I had forgotten that. One of, the, one of the first times we ran into each other.
1: So you were doing a Saturday show right. at Summerfest, and I was your on-site producer. Okay. And I don't really know what that means still uh, <laughs> or what it meant at the time, but it got to mean— uh, a young aspiring broadcaster got to hang out with a man he admired in the broadcast oh. world, which was you. And you oh, bought thanks. me a beer and a euro after that, and I'll never forget <laughs> sitting down on a picnic <laughs> table, eating oh. a euro and drinking a beer with Jeff Wagner. And it was like the
2: highlight of my week. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, must have been a bar no, was low, it was great. but that's that's kind of well. And look, because you've been here twenty years, right? Are you are going on twenty twenty two in August. It was. 22 in August. Or 21 right. in August. Yeah. right? And you started out like as a part-time producer and then the, the Greenhouse, right? Back I, in the Greenhouse.
1: That was my first job out of college was producing the Greenhouse. Uh, I was making more money bartending downtown.
2: Well, yeah. yeah <laughs> and you know,
1: having that's... a lot of fun doing it. But uh, yeah, then it eventually spilled into some weekend on-air work, part-time for 10 years. I had a job in marketing that sort of uh, scratched the full-time itch of work. And then shortly after the Packers run to the Super Bowl, right. it became full-time.
2: Right. Interesting. It's just long run. It, I, I'm always just amazed and and it, very very blessed about the connection that that the spoken word radio in particular has with with people. I mean, I I, I will go places, and sincerely, I mean, I'll people who remember there was some topic, they remember it like it was yesterday, and it was 10, 15, 20 years ago or whatever, because it touches a nerve. And that's that's something that radio does that I don't care what the other mediums are. Nobody can do that.
1: No, that's absolutely true. I think, uh, you know, people who listen to the afternoon show know that I've got two little girls at home. Uh, maybe know that I went to UW Oshkosh and your, your connection point about TV is so spot on. Uh, and I find that to be the case that I, I know some of these people off the air who are on TV, but I do wonder, you know, how much of that is just through our personal interaction, because it doesn't
2: really come through on the TV screen as much as it can through the radio right. waves. Right. And TV is very, very, I mean, there's, we have a little bit of flexibility, like I'm I'm a couple minutes late for the break, but as long as I get the breaks played, nobody's going to argue with me about that. <laughs> but in, in TV, you've got the cameraman, you've got the producer who's yelling in your ear, you've got to take this break. Or it's it's really very, very scripted in that, okay, this is what you read, and this is how you do this. And we're much more freeform and much more spontaneous. And
1: we don't have to wear pants. Put it, put it <laughs> okay. all together, and you got yourself a win.
2: Okay, that's, that's <laughs> too much of the theater of mind. When we come back... Don't mess with my Duncan. I'll explain. We'll discuss. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. Um, this, is, this is the headline in the Washington Post. So I was hesitant to read this because I, I don't want to take it out of context. The headline is, quote, what idiot do you, what kind of idiot do you think I am? said Jeff Wagner. No, the headline says, "What kind of idiot do you think I am? Customers chafe as rewards programs are pared back." And and here, here's essentially the story. Like, you know, like Dunkin Donuts, except you don't call it Dunkin Donuts anymore. It's like Dunkin, and it we have them here, but it's it's really like big on on the East Coast and stuff. Well, apparently, you know, maybe Maybe you participate in rewards programs. Like, for example, I fly Southwest Airlines a lot, so I have a Southwest Airlines card. So you get points, you accumulate the points, you use the points for free trips or, or whatever. And, you know, my, my guess is you have credit cards like that. My guess is you you have loyalty cards as well. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a gas card. You go to the same— brand of gas station all the time because you get quick trip points or speedway points or, or whatever they, those might be. Or maybe, you know, you go to a particular type of fast food place. You go to McDonald's or you go to, you know, Wendy's or, or whatever that might be because you're part of the loyalty rewards thing. Well, okay, this is a challenging time for businesses. And, and here's Like, here's the story. Let me read a portion of it to you from the Washington Post. As food inflation soared, restaurants and other businesses have found consumers leaning into their loyalty programs, consumers vigilantly doing the math. How many more orders do I get before I get a freebie? Are there double points on certain days? An extra treat on my birthday? Loyalty programs are effective at keeping regulars loyal, but that can be a problem businesses are finding. This week, Dunkin', that would be Dunkin' Donuts, faced fierce blowback from many of its members of a subreddit devoted to the ubiquitous purveyor of caramel swirl macchiatos and pumpkin spice lattes. At issue, Dunkin', owned by Inspire Brands, revised its eight-year-old DD, Dunkin' Donuts, perks program and released the new Dunkin's reward system last week that many said devalued their points. Dunkin' debuted the change on its website, saying it was because our members deserve more. Dunkin' Rewards is designed to help keep you running all day long with the best Dunkin' has to offer. Now customers must accrue more than twice as many points before they can redeem them for free coffee drinks and free birthday drinks went away. So anyhow, it, it talks about how they've they've changed the program and now you, you need more points, and they're they're kind of. I don't know if I don't exactly know how they did it because I don't belong to the Duncan Rewards thing. I, I get the idea that they might have started giving people like more reward points for a cup of coffee, but they also upped the number of points that you need to get that free coffee, something like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I was I was intrigued by this because what I wanted to talk to you about was These loyalty programs, how important is that to you in deciding to patronize a business? And I guess by that I mean, all right, you're you're driving along, um, you've got the quick trip rewards card for the sake of argument. And and so will you bypass other gas stations to to go to quick quick trip because you're going to get points? Or Speedway, um, are you... Are you more likely, do you go to, okay, this is, you know, Jeff's submarine sandwich shop because Jeff is giving you the reward points. Um, Southwest Airlines, again, that's where I use that. If Southwest Airlines were to change its loyalty program so that all of a sudden you need a lot more points for your, your free trip, would that cause you to bail? How important are these loyalty programs to getting your business? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line, because Duncan is facing this kind of mini revolt when they redid their program, and they say, "Oh, this is this great deal," and people are doing the math and say, "No, we're getting shafted." <laughs> you know, uh, okay, is is we're we're not going back to Duncan anymore. We're going to find another place, All right? Would you do that? We discuss in just a minute. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Right, the story in the Washington Post, if you're just tuning in, people are outraged because Dunkin' Donuts, they now call themselves Dunkin', they, they changed their rewards program, where I think what they're doing is you, you get, like, more points for, you know, every coffee you buy or donut you buy, but they've also upped the threshold. for for how much you need to get like a free coffee cup, a cup of coffee. And more people, more of these companies are doing it because rewards programs are expensive and in many industries, profit margins are thin, but you have people who are catching on to this and they're becoming irate. And I thought it'd be interesting to just say, okay, how, how, you know, how important are rewards programs to you? Let's start with Rich in Richfield. Rich, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Jeff, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. We can hear you.
0: Okay, thanks, dude. So for a while, uh, we had one of those fresh perks cards for pick and save, which is fine. But once BP got involved with them and I could get points built up during the course of a month and I could actually save at the pump, um, between me driving a V8 and what Grandpa President is doing to gas prices, I find it very worthwhile. I will pass other gas stations to fill up at a BP.
2: Uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people like that. Jeff, I definitely take advantage of it. I go to pick and save three times a week for a family member and myself. And then I go to BP. I insert my card at the pump. It lets me know how much I will save per gallon. I push accept. And the last time I did, I paid $2.85 a gallon. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, th- th- that's where it it works. Jeff, I've taken lucrative advantage of numerous award programs my whole life, and I have notified noticed that to my dismay, recently most of them have increased the amount of earnings needed for cashing out rewards and often putting new short durations on earnings. Um yeah, that's I think you know that's what they're seeing. And and this is again, I bring this up because it's kind of a cautionary tale, because profit margins are thin. The, the companies are, are getting all sorts of pressure and, and they're starting to do different things like cutting back on the rewards programs and and then creating like different things. Like I think Subway rolled out something where if you pay $15 a month, you get X number of half price subs or, or things like that. But just completely different than here, get, get points just by using your credit card. Um, Jeff, Choice Hotels is constantly – Devaluing their um, devaluing their points. Jeff Cordoba did this and really stuck it to um, the the customer. Okay, I don't never had the Cordoba card. Jeff, I only shop at Metro Market and I do it because of their reward points. Last week, I got 80 cents per gallon of gas at BP. Boy, we're hearing that one a lot. Um, Jeff, I quit Starbucks several years ago because Dunkin' drinks got to be good enough to enjoy constantly, were half price, and the rewards came way faster. It took me months to get something free at Starbucks and only two weeks at Dunkin' at the time. I guess I better take a look. Something didn't look right this morning. <clears throat> well, that, that's, I, I mean, I think that's that's it. A lot of people are just, you got to pay attention to this because this is one of the areas where you have these these companies And look, nobody says you have to do a rewards program, but but you have to, I think, you know, pay attention to some of this because these companies are all under earnings pressure. And I I think they all, you know, this is by by cutting back, especially if they can cut back in a way that makes you not realize they're cutting back. Like I say, like, okay, you know, all right, yeah, we're going to give you two more points than you used to get for buying that cup of coffee, but at the same time, you know, we're going to up this if you normally got, you know, but at the same time, you're going to need lots more points before you get that free cup of coffee. Jeff, I go all by all the gas stations because I have the quick trip rewards debit card. So I get three cents off every gallon and 5% off their in-store purchases. Um, you know, that's, I think that's the, the idea. Jeff, rewards programs are very important to me. We fill up exclusively at Quick Trip, Quick Trip because of the rewards. It leads to, you know, cheaper gas. Jeff, on the McDonald's app, you used to be able to buy five coffees and get one free. Now you get 100 points for every dollar you spend. But a $2, dollars two fifty cup of coffee is now 3,000 points. Yeah, so you, that's it. You've you got to sit down and actually do the math. And I bring this up not to discourage you from participating in rewards programs, but only to alert you to the fact that if you've been in this reward program for a while and you're used to things, you you, you might want to kind of pay attention to what's going on because these reward programs are constantly changing. One of the things that I think it is clear from a number of the texts I'm getting, including a lot that I haven't been able to read, is that these reward programs are important. We're all looking for ways that we can make our dollar go farther, especially, you know, in an era of 8% inflation. And rewards programs and loyalty programs are one of the ways to do it. And that's really cool. That's great. But I think it's a burden on us as the consumers to uh, kind of pay attention to what the small print says. And in some cases, we might be a bit surprised.